Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. As a church comes together, the obvious feature that we would associate with the church is relationship. As we worship Christ, which is the main reason why we come together, we cannot ignore the simple truth that there are others around us within the service, within the fellowship, within the Bible study, even at the parking lot. There are people around us as we gather together. Could you imagine people coming to church and they sing, they listen to announcements, they give their offerings and listen to the message, maybe even respond at, at the altar. But at the end, they don't talk to anybody else, they don't even shake hands and They have no eye contacts, no smiles to each other, no good morning or how are you. I mean, could you imagine our church being like that? I mean, claim that to be the norm. How unusual would that be? You see, this is not an organization, but a church. We're not attached to some function or structure or an organization. And, but a church is people being attached to people. Oh, that's why you come here today, and you're attached to the very uh, 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 first person in priority is our Savior, Jesus Christ, and then, secondly, to his body, his people, his believers. The word church is a Greek word, ekklesia, which literally means a called-out assembly. So in the spiritual, we are a called-out assembly are called out people coming together because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we have the same Savior, we seek for unity and togetherness because Christ is not divided. Christ is one. The Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And we say amen to that. Thank God we don't have to be confused with different gods, different faith, different doctrine. No, we have one faith, we have one baptism, we have one Lord, we have one Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of our stand, and our belief of our Savior, it has drawn us together, and it has brought us together. It has uh, uh, brought a church together, and I believe that we need to seek for unity all the time because of our foundation, which is our Savior. And because of relationship within the church, there should be unity within the church. Apostle Paul wrote just before these verses about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Ephesians 4, 3, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, God says, now I have brought you together because I have washed you and cleansed you. You're saved. You're a children of obedience. You're children of the light. And now I have brought you together as a church. Now I want you to be a good steward endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of 
peace. God says, I want you to make sure that you have peace among yourselves. And you need to make sure you're unified together. Because there is one Spirit. Because there is one Lord. Because there is one baptism. Because there is one God who is above all and through all and in you all. What a wonderful calling that God has given us. What a wonderful responsibility. You see, we cannot just unite ourselves in peace naturally because we have this sinful flesh. But we must submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, who is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And we must yield ourselves to Him so that we may be fruitful and so that we may also have a good stewardship of unity. We cannot just think that it's going to just all work out. No, it has to be built upon in holy faith and also in holy stewardship. I want to encourage you today uh, uh, that God cares about relationship within his church. He notices when people are loving each other, giving toward each other, sharing burdens to each other, encouraging each other, and also supporting each other. And not only that, and, uh, uh, but to our surprise, the ones who are outside of the church also cares. We know that to be true where God cares about what's going on in the church. You know, Paul told Timothy, make sure you behave in the right way in the house of God which is the, uh, uh, the ground of truth, which is the pillar of truth, and make sure you behave yourself in the right way. And God cares about how we behave. God cares about how we have relationship. And we know that to be true. And we have that in the back of our minds. But to our surprise, the world cares too. I think about John 13, verse 35. By this shall all men, Know that ye are my disciples, believers, Christians, if ye have what? Love one another. You see, the world is paying attention what's going on in the church. The world is paying attention what kind of Christian you are, even privately. And also what kind of relationship you have within your family. We talked about family last week. And also, they do care uh, 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 what's going on within the church and how they have relationship as well. And we must understand that the world also cares. Statistics show that 90% of people uh, say that the friendliness was a major factor in deciding where to attend church. Out of 353 people interviewed about the first time they attended a new church, 311 of them mentioned the friendliness of the church. By the way, friendliness and caring for people, you know, uh, that, that has to be organic. That has to be divine. That has to be spiritual. And it cannot come unless we are all yielded to the Spirit of God. And out of those same 353 people, 117 specifically mentioned greeters or even welcome centers. You see, the world cares whether... Bible Baptist Church is loving and caring. They do care because they've been hurt before. They've been betrayed before. They've been neglected before. They have seen all the hurts and sorrow and 
and even shame in this world. And when they come to church, they expect something different. If they truly believe in a perfect God who is love, who is merciful, who is forgiving, I wonder if they follow the same path. You know, it was Gandhi who said, I like your Christ, but I don't like the Christians. And ladies and gentlemen, we must take heed to Christ's words in John 13. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one another. If you don't care for each other, if you're not sharing burden for each other, and if you're not in any way uh, 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 trying to encourage each other in the Lord, I guarantee you the world will not be attracted to what's going on here. The world will not be attracted to Christ. It's quite interesting to find out the world cares about who we are. Not necessarily what we believe in first, necessarily what we do or uh, how we keep our commandments and rules or maybe ordinances. They want to see if we truly love each other, if we truly care for each other, if we have an open arm to receive them as Christ will receive them. And this all has to do with building the right spiritual relationship with God first and secondly with His people. Some people claim that Maybe church doesn't work anymore. Maybe because they have gone through disappointing uh, cycles in their life as they went to church. People claim maybe they don't need church as a Christian because they were hurt within uh, some functions of the church, maybe some relationship within the church. And someone asked this question, can I be a Christian without joining the church? And the answer was, yes, it is possible but it is something like being a student who will not go to school, a soldier who will not join an army, a citizen who does not pay taxes or vote, a salesman with no customers, an explorer with no base camp, a seaman on a ship without a crew, a businessman on a deserted island, an author without readers, a tuba player without an orchestra, a parent without a family. You see, ladies and gentlemen, a Christian without a church does not make sense to Christ. For the church is his body, and you are his body. And as much as you've been hurt before, as much as you've been disappointed, maybe in relationship within other churches, or maybe even this church today, I want you to be encouraged that Christ has not changed. And Christ still calls this his church. And he wants to identify with you and also with this church. And he wants to help this church more perfectly in the love of Christ and also his, through his peace and through his joy. And we cannot give up on church attendance or maybe membership of any assembly just because some people have made some different mistakes towards you. Ladies and gentlemen, we gather here, number one, I encourage you once again, because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't just gather here just for fellowship or relationship, though that is very important. Realize that the very first reason why you come here is because the head of the church, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. People might change, but he never changes. And he still calls this church his church. And we thank God for that. 
And we ought to identify with the church as much as possible. And we ought to love the church. We ought to love the people in this church. In the passage that we read in the beginning, we read Paul's admonition to the church in Thessalonica to build a relationship in the spiritual. So with this in mind, how can we experience a church that is building spiritual relationship within the church? And I, like I said before, we have imperfect people, but God will perfect this church, mature this church through his people too. And I want to encourage you to build a good, solid spiritual relationship with others around you. God has put us together for a reason. And you belong here. And uh, <coughs> we want to be there for you. And as much as we want to be there for you, guess what? You should be there for others as well. We ought to always be together. That's why we encourage everyone, whenever the church door is open, be here. You got to be here. You got to talk to people. You got to have some relationship. You got to share some prayer requests. And you got to have some heart-to-heart talk with a fellow man or fellow lady who's going through the same trial with you. And we need that kind of bond. We need that type of spiritual encouragement, exhortation, so that we may build a spiritual relationship that is strong and that is sturdy in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to share with you five simple spiritual recognition in church relationship that will help us to build, first of all, recognize the example of our Savior. The example of our Savior. Look at verse 9 through 10. For God had not appointed us to wrath, but obtained salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Before we are cruel or unkind to each other, as an assembly, we must seek to become more like Jesus Christ. Our Savior was kind, gentle, forgiving, loving, and calm. And ladies and gentlemen, as much as we want to see a perfect relationship within the church, we cannot have it unless we look toward to our perfect Savior. And we must look toward our perfect Savior, the sinless Savior, the one who always brings about the right relationship, one who is kind, the one who is gentle, the one who is forgiving, the one who is calm in hostile situations. And we need that type of spirit within our hearts. And we need his help. The word of God repeatedly speaks of Christ being our example. No guile in his mouth, the Bible says. In 1 Peter chapter 2, For even here too, when you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his step, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Meaning, there was no trickery, there was no deceit found in his mouth. And as we have relationship, you know, you might be thinking in the back of your mind, I wonder if that person really trusts me. I wonder if he really means what he says. And we could have that little insecurity within the church, and because we're imperfect, because we doubt sometimes. But we need to follow the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In order to have peace among ourselves, let us truly speak with no guile. 
Let us truly speak honestly, truthfully, and also with love and kindness. And let us not have guile in our mouths. Let us not have sinful attitude and sinful speech within our uh, uh, words and our sentences. And let us make sure we secure the believers that we do love them. And let us secure each other, letting them know that we do trust them, God's people say. And let us give that security among ourselves. And let us not bring about different accusations or even false gossip that will bring division and that will truly walk, uh, have people walk uh, uh, outside of our fellowship or outside of the assembly. Oh, I think about Christ's example, how he forgives. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So how should we forgive? As Christ forgives us. How many times does he forgive us? Every time. And ladies and gentlemen, you cannot hold a grudge Toward another. <clears throat> you cannot have a list of things you, that, that someone has done towards you. Thank God our Savior Jesus Christ washed all of our sins away. And he has no record of sins in heaven concerning our lives. It's all been done away with. Our name is written in the eternal book of life. And thank God he has forgiven. He forgets. And we must also have that same example within our hearts. Some of you uh, 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 married couples, you need to forgive each other and forget them. And also, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to encourage you to forgive each other and forget those hurts and put them away as Christ has put your sins away. You see, Christ's sake has forgiven you. We must do the same thing. And, ladies and gentlemen, how can we ever forgive unless there are some hurts that we have experienced? How can we ever become like Jesus Christ and forgive like Jesus Christ unless we've been hurt? So that is a reality of life, isn't it? So don't hold a grudge and be bitter. No, get better by forgiving each other. See, God never gives you a trial so that you can become better. No, he wants you to be better. He wants you to follow his example. Christ forgave us. Christ served and washed disciples' feet. And then he says, I like it in John 13, verse 15, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now, my first desire is that I probably don't want to wash Brother Price's feet. Amen? I'm sure he'll feel uncomfortable too, right, Brother Price? Yeah, it might be a little awkward situation, feeling your toes and, you know, those kind of things. I've never even seen your toes, amen? You haven't even seen mine. Now, it's a different Jewish custom here, and, and uh, you know... Uh, 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 the lowest servant will wash people's feet when you're staying at a hotel or maybe a lodge like that. But Jesus Christ took his towel, took a basin, filled it with water, and started washing his creation's feet. 
And Jesus said, I want you to do likewise. I want you to do the same thing. And that example, my friend, is servant leadership. And if you want to really lead people in an exhortation, if you want to really lead people in the spiritual, if you really want to lead your marriage, and if you want to lead your church in following Jesus, then we must serve others. That's the example. You know, the example of our Savior, as we just mentioned just a moment ago, of three examples, how he has no guile in his mouth. He didn't respond to any accusations or hurts. As we think about how he forgives, and also as we think about how he washed disciples' feet, his example is always giving, not receiving. That's the example. And ladies and gentlemen, you've got to give into the relationship more than taking it. Some people you just want to take all the time. You just want to be loved all the time, but you never love. You want to be forgiven all the time, but you never forgive. You want to <clears throat> have somebody serve you all the time, but you never serve. That's not the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The example of our Savior, Jesus Christ, is to give and to give and to give and expect nothing back. By the way, if we all just do what Jesus does, just by giving and giving and giving, if everyone does that in this room, all maybe 45 of us in this room, if we were all to do that, guess what? Everybody will start what? Receiving. Right? If we just give, everybody will start get receiving. You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about if I'll receive. If everyone just starts giving toward each other. Loving each other, forgiving each other, go out of their way to serve one another. That's the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that must be the, <clears throat> the DNA in our church. And <clears throat> we must always be sacrificial and always giving and always doing more than we should so that everyone will receive. Our relationship within the church should be based on Christ and Christ alone. Some people base it on upbringing, their background, their temperament, their emotions. But those are bound to fail because, of our, because our flesh fails. Men fail. But Christ never fails. We need to endeavor to speak like Christ, respond like Christ, think like Christ, give like Christ. Forgive like Christ. He is our perfect example. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, He died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. You know, the reason why we have this special relationship with our Savior is because He gave Himself to us. Now we are His, and He is ours. And whether we wake or sleep, we're together with Ladies and gentlemen, that's our example today. If you want to be together and have unity within the church, we got to give toward each other. we got to just be spent for each other. That's going to bring the church together. That's going to build spiritual relationships. Not taking all the time. 
That's not going to bring togetherness. It's going to bring division. So, we see the example of our Savior. Number two, the edification of the church. Verse 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. The goal of every Christian in the church is to build up other people, not tear down them down. And we need to evaluate how, uh, what am I doing each Sunday to encourage and build up another. And ladies and gentlemen, we're not just here to receive and receive and receive like I just said before. No. Christ said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we need to make sure that we build up and we need to uh, put the effort and the work and even the sweat to encourage one another uh, as we gather together on a Sunday Sunday. And some of you only come maybe one uh, uh, service a week, and this is very vital for you. And you have a very hectic schedule during the week. You work on Wednesday night. You can't come on Wednesday night. And you maybe work on Sunday night. You work on Sunday night. And this is the only time you get to have some fellowship. You get to have some uh, 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 preaching and, and hear God's word. And I hope in every way that someone is building you up, and that's my hope and desire and prayer. And I hope there's somebody who's paying attention to you and as Christians today and let us in every way encourage and build up each other as much as possible. There might be somebody who is coming here every Sunday and just hoping somebody uh, just pat them on their back and say, hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, how you been doing? Hey, it's good to see you every Sunday morning. Hey, it's great that you're in Sunday school. Hey, it's wonderful that you're learning so much. It's wonderful that you're part of our fellowship. It's wonderful you joined the church last month. And we need to build up each other as much as possible. And by the way, the devil wants to tear us down as much as possible. The world wants to tear us down as much as possible. Our insecurity, our flesh wants to tear us down as much as possible. <coughs> and and, and, and the devil wants us to live in guilt. The devil wants us to live in shame. Now, I know there is a process of repentance if we're in sin, and we need to have some humility. I understand that. But we need not to stay there. We need to go forward to the throne of grace. All Christians are growing by simply having guilt. Just because you recognize that you have done something wrong, that doesn't mean you're growing. No, you recognize you do something wrong. You recognize maybe you have maybe uh, somewhat come short in growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have made some mistakes. And from that, you repent. You turn to the Lord who, say, uh, who, uh, who, who says that uh, abide in me and I in you and ye shall bring forth much fruit. And you find that grace and you say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And you uh, just dive into this wonderful pool of grace and let God wash you and guide you and strengthen you and help you. And you become a better Christian. You grow in grace, not in guilt. And the devil wants you to stay in guilt all the time. Just beat yourself over the head. Why do you go to church every Sunday? You're not a good Christian. Why do you even read the Bible? You know, you don't even understand all these things. Why even pray? You know, God's not going to answer your prayer. And you've been sitting here and there. God has hid his face from you. 
Oh, you're such a loser. You always get back to the hell. Same old sin, the devil says. The devil is pounding on you and giving you that guilt and shame, and the world does that, and the world says the church doesn't work, the Bible doesn't work, the prayer doesn't work, and your flesh also, your old nature says, hey, come back to me. Let's be more confident in our sin and what we do. And we tear our lives apart. That's why when you come to church, You only see some Christians who are encouraging each other, edifying one another. We don't know the Christians are saying, hey, by the way, it's great to kind of ask somebody, have you been reading your Bible? Well, you can't do it in a very wrongful way, in a very hurtful way. You can't say it. So when's the last time you read your Bible? That's not going to edify somebody. When's the last time you attended Sunday school, huh? When's the last time you came four weeks in a row? That's not going to edify anybody. And I want to encourage you to learn how to edify someone in the spirit of loneliness and gentleness and grace. You got to speak the truth in love. You got to speak the truth, but you got to do it in love. Hey, can I encourage you? Hey, why don't you come next Wednesday? Great Bible study, great fellowship. We have 3F night once a month. We'd love for you to come. Hey, how about we get to discipleship? Discipleship is great. You get to learn about the Bible more, and, and you get to dive in a little bit more detail with Q&A. You know, just edifying in wholesome words. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have same care for one another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, as we think about <coughs> the scripture here, it's very obvious that we're supposed to be there for each other, not against each other. Yes? Okay. You know what? You know when we are against each other, it's because we are maybe envious against another or jealous or maybe comparing ourselves to each other. That's when we're against each other. But when we are for each other, ladies and gentlemen, when someone is having a wonderful day, we have a wonderful day with them. When something good happens to them in their career, we rejoice with them. When somebody's suffering and going through some sorrow, we rejoice with him or her. I'm sorry, we suffer and we sorrow and we get in every way uh, tearful about their trials. And, 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 and ladies and gentlemen, there's no way for us to edify unless we are for each other. And I wonder if you're for somebody today. I wonder if you like to encourage another. Maybe, may we edify one another. You know, something encouraged me today, just small thing, just small. <coughs> I think it was a good example of our Savior, too. You know, when I get ready for service, I'm usually in the office, just going through some of my notes and then having a sip of coffee and, and uh, reading the scripture a little bit. And then every time I sit there, somebody comes by, gives me a cue card, and gives me this microphone and puts it there. <laughs> 
right to Patrick. And that's Brother Josh Black. Now, he's a full-time minister at our church. But just today, as I thought about that, he doesn't have to do that. But he he goes out of his way to get the cue card on my desk. And puts his microphone on my desk. And the Lord said to me, Josh doesn't have to do that, but he does that. I was very grateful. The small gesture like that just encouraged me today. Someone thought about me. Someone edified me. And by the way, he's been doing that ever since he got here. Not that I didn't notice it before, it just touched my heart again. I'm just simply saying today, one little small gesture could just go such a long way for another Christian being. Would you edify somebody today? Maybe just getting somebody a cup of coffee. Now, just because somebody gives you a cup of coffee, don't think that person's not sincere, amen, all right? Today you have to call me a fellowship. But I'm just simply saying this morning, small gesture like that could go a long way. Number three, the esteem to the spiritual laborers. Verse number 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. You know, it's quite clear that church uh, was having less peace because they had trouble with the laborers or leaders of the church. One of the most important relationships within the church is the relationship between the pastor and the congregation. And of course, a pastor should not have any lordship or constraint over, uh, constraint over the flock. If he does, and he is full of himself, selfish and prideful. An Australian pastor once said, no man who is full of himself can ever truly preach the Christ who emptied himself. A pastor must, serve, must have servant leadership. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, nor for filthy lucre, but of ready mind. Leader as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. You know, the pastor is not here to force people or even drive them on. The pastor is supposed to lead. You know, God says the church is a flock of God, and we are depicted as sheep not paddles. Have you ever seen a, a person who uh, you know, drives a cattle? They always drive them from the back. You know, they chase them. That's how, you know, cattle are run. They get in their horses, and, and they get their little uh, ropes and stuff like that, and they just drive them on. Cattle don't get led, but sheep do. Sheep They tend to look to the shepherd and where they need to go. And that's what the pastor needs to be. And I am in every way uh, wanting to be the right pastor and the right heart. And even at the couples retreat, as much as I do think about my marriage those two days and I think about my wife and my relationship with her and and I, I wrote a lot of notes and I just wanted to just think about my weaknesses, and there's one thing I was truly weak in. I even prayed with my wife about it during the couple's retreat, and, uh, and I need to work on it better in my marriage. And, but there's a couple of things I learned 
because I saw the pastor, I saw a different pastor, he was a guest preacher from West Virginia, and there are a couple of things that he said that just really helped me as a pastor. I want to be a better pastor every Sunday. And he says this, he said, you know, a pastor must be a student of marriage. I wrote that down. I got to study marriage. I got to know what marriage is all about. I got to help the people of God. As, even though I'm a young preacher, hey, there might be some marriage struggling in their 30th year, 40th year, and they're looking to our pastor to pray with them and guide them and understand them and help them maybe even with books. And I even thought about what he said. As a pastor, he said, there's two things as I do in counseling. He says, number one is confidentiality, and then number two is comfort. And that really helped me as a pastor. As I counsel, I was reminded again, confidentiality between the pastor and the individual. We pray, and we let the thing known to the Lord, and, and, and let the thing know, known to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and not in the pulpit. And it helped me to realize I'm supposed to comfort people, not judge people. To strengthen them in their trial and help them. Because I don't know what they are truly going through. And I want to be a better pastor every single week. And I want to be a pastor uh, for my family and, and for my children. And I want to be the pastor that God has called me to be. And as we think about this truth, I hope as a congregation that you pray for me. I need your prayer. I'm not trying to be selfish here, but I need your prayer. I need your guidance. I need your counseling sometimes. I need your help in pointing out some things that we need to do better as a church. And we need to have peace among ourselves. You see, ultimately, this is not my church. This is not your church. This is Christ's church. And we're here together in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, as a congregation, we must work together, love each other, understand each other, and be in tune in the same vision and the same goal. The Bible encourages the church in Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul, and they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, Ah, my counseling might not always be right. But there's some counseling I know in every way that others have counseled and others have in every way told her or him to do the right thing. And I kind of got in the mix of it and just wanted to make sure that person going the right direction as well. But that person is hardened. That person doesn't want to listen. That person is filled with pride and sin and, and doesn't want to listen to any authority, doesn't want to listen to parents, doesn't want to listen to their father, doesn't want to listen to their pastor or Sunday school leader. They just want to do what they want to do. That, that doesn't help me to serve the church with joy. Now, I'm going to serve the church, but I might have to serve the church with grief. I'm here so that I could help you to be more like Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one that ultimately helps with that. But God has placed me to give you the word of God, to give you the counseling so that we could all become more like Jesus. And that's where I, that's where I stand today, that I point you to Jesus. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus think? What decision would Jesus Christ make in this situation? Now, if I'm not sharing Christ with you and saying, be like me, you could, you know, just 
walk out this door and never come back again because I'm full of myself. But if I'm sharing with you about Jesus, what would Jesus Christ would do? And sharing with you from the Bible what Christ wants you to do, then let us have peace among ourselves. Did you know the Bible says that the pastor, as he preaches, Timothy was encouraged. He says to reprove and to rebuke. Some pastors don't want to have an offensive message. Well, I have an offensive armor over here called the sword of the spirit. And when the word of God comes forth, sometimes it can make you uncomfortable. It can slice you and dice you a little bit in your heart of all the reasonings and all the pride. And sometimes you need that so you could grow and become a better Christian. I want to encourage you. So when I reprove, when I rebuke, it's not because I'm mad at you. I'm sharing with you about God's word. I'm preaching against sin. I'm preaching against worldliness. I'm preaching against apathy and also indifference. So with that in mind, this theme, I guess you could have toward church laborers and leaders. And by the way, the Sunday school leaders here, they're the extension of my position. They share the same heart as I do, and they see the same vision and the same goal. And, uh, and we communicate, and we pray together for you. So I want you to know that we are for you, not against you. So with that, number four, exhortation of the needy, I must hurry. For exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient <coughs> toward all men. We need to take care of the least of the brethren, in this case, the ones who are needy in the spiritual. Some Christians are not in need of the spiritual, but the spir- uh, not, not of the physical, but the spiritual. They don't need financial help, but the spiritual help. And they are feeble-minded, they are mentally weak, they are unruly, out of control in their sin or in their behavior. And we have the needy in the church. Do we care for them? Do we want to bring them along and build them up? Or do we judge them and say, forget about them. Did Jesus ever discard his disciples? No. Did he discard the doubting Thomas? No. He came back to him and he says, look at my scars. He didn't discard doubting Thomas. (coughs) Did he discard the denying Peter? No. He came to him the third time and asked him, do you love me? You see, God never gives up on the needy. And we should not ever give up on the needy of our church. I'm talking about those who are desperately needing help in the spiritual. I think about this gentleman who called me yesterday. I got a two-missed call from him. I called him back, didn't answer. He calls me, he calls me sometimes, once in a while, when he, he needs some money. And, uh, and we have relief fund here. I like, we like to help out those who are in need of grocery, need some paying some gas bills, electric bills, and whatever they need. We give them maybe $25, $30, depending on the need. But this man, once or twice, I encountered him buying liquor with the money we gave him. And last time I spoke to him, I said, you don't need money, sir. You need counseling. You need spiritual help. You need to come to church if you're serious about this. And uh, in Asia, there are people that 
that needs some spiritual edification. And we need to be there for them. They are unruly, they are feeble-minded, and we need to make sure that we don't discard them, but at the same time not compromise or abuse the situation and make sure we are help, helping them to catch up in this grace that God has given us. Number four, number five, I'm sorry, lastly, the exchange of goodness. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. The word of God says in Romans 12, 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We must overcome evil with good, not just overcome evil. Anyone can just overcome evil, but how about with good? You know, the church is not a perfect gathering. It will never be in this side of heaven. But as much as there is a presence of wrong, shouldn't there be a presence of goodness too? Goodness can overcome evil. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we've been married now nine years. Next year is our tenth year. (coughs) And uh, sometimes we still don't understand each other. And the communication gets a little bit hectic, and, and I learned the last couple of days I need to understand her better and try to understand what she's aiming at and what she's uh, talking about. And uh, I, I think about some things that I have done toward my wife, maybe said the wrong things and reacted the wrong way, but my wife so graciously has displayed goodness during those times. And... Uh, even on Sunday morning, she gives me a cup of coffee and a uh, biscuit with jelly on it and, and a side of eggs. She puts it right on my desk on Sunday morning. And then Brother Josh gives me the pin mic and, uh, and, uh, and the cue card. I'm a king in there, amen? I'm a king. We should all just have service in there, amen? But she has never failed to do that every Sunday. Even though maybe we had some rough week, we had some time where we misunderstood each other. But she has given me grace, goodness. And, la- and ladies, don't you think that the husband doesn't pay attention? Sometimes you got to just knock him silly and just say, hey, I fed you dinner even though you said some wrong things. You, <laughs> you know, sometimes you might have to do that. But, you know, the husband notices those things. The Holy Spirit can just prick the heart of a man. And let's keep on doing good, ladies. And I think about the church as well. We need to we need just keep on doing good. Keep on doing good. Keep on doing good. No matter what other things happen to us. No matter what other people do wrong to us. No matter what happens, ladies and gentlemen, just keep on doing good like Jesus Christ. The exchange of goodness. Overcome evil with good. Be a good Christian today. Show some goodness to somebody today. Encourage and edify somebody today. Help them along in their Christian life. That's why you're here. Not just to receive, not just to get, but to give.